Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of 2 Timothy, Paul's letter to Timothy, second letter, 2 Timothy chapter number 1. I want to begin reading this morning in verse number 7 down through verse 12, which is our text for the message today. Verse 7, Paul says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. As we go through life, it doesn't take long before we discover there's a lot of things in life that are not sure. A lot of things that we can't be certain about. So many times we think that we've got it all figured out and, you know, and uh, uh, a lot of people have lost every dollar they have betting on what they thought was sure bets and all of the money is gone and... Uh, it didn't come to fruition. It might not have been through betting. It might have been through an investment. And they thought they had, uh, you know, found the goose that laid the golden egg. And they invest all of their savings in something that in the end proves to be a big bust. And their money is gone. So many times we make plans about what we're going to do with our life. And we start down that path. And uh, after a while, we, we suddenly discover that uh, there are roadblocks everywhere and absolutely nothing's working out the way that we planned. So a lot of things in life that are not for certain. But there's one thing, in fact, it's not just one thing, it is the most important thing in life that we can be sure about. And I want to talk to you this morning about that. The subject of the message is saved and sure. And I don't know of any section of Scripture that we could go to that, that points that fact out better than this. As Paul is writing to, to young Timothy, no, notice he starts out by speaking about his conflict that he is in. He says, for the which cause? The cause he's talking about is the fact that he was appointed to be a preacher, an apostle, which means a sent one, and a teacher to the Gentiles. So that's what he was doing. He was doing what God called him to do, and naturally the world hated him because of that. And he says, it was for this call, he says, I also suffer these things. In other words, he is being persecuted. In fact, he is in prison because he preached the gospel. 
Well, you know, suffering is one of those subjects that none of us really want to talk about. We, you know, rather not think about it, you know, even the slight possibility that we might have to suffer for Christ. And people today are not looking for a Christianity that is, you know, that's difficult or dangerous in any way, but they want something that is fun and easy. They want to, they want to avoid any kind of sacrifice, any kind of suffering whatsoever. But Paul had a different attitude from the very beginning of his Christian life. If you'll remember there where he met the Lord on the road to Damascus and the, the Lord sent him to a special messenger, had a message for him. And the message was, I'm going to show you what great things you have to suffer as a result of this. Now, so many times we think about salvation being our escape out of difficulties, right? The truth of the matter, sometimes it is the entrance into a life of difficulty. That's the way it was for the Apostle Paul. He was in prison, not for doing something bad, but in prison as a result of doing what God called him to do. And suffering followed him throughout his life. It reminds us that we, you know, because I'm convinced that God loved Paul more than Paul loved God. Amen. And there's no doubt about how much Paul loved God. He writes about that repeatedly and expresses his great love for God. But it's God's love for us that is so overwhelming. But listen, this shows us that you can't judge God's love nor your standing with God on the basis of your circumstances, because sometimes the best people have the worst problems. And you go down through history and look at the history of Christians and all the way from the very beginning of Christianity, whenever those early Christians met in the catacombs and they're hiding for their life, as it were, all because they wanted to worship the true and the living God. And we have, listen, our people have been burned at the stake. They have been crucified. They've been persecuted, hated, and despised throughout all of these centuries. And we must not assume that they were not in the will of God. We must not assume that they were being punished for some wrong they've done. They were doing exactly what God told them to do, and they're suffering for it. And that's where Paul is, and he's speaking about this conflict and the suffering that he's going through. But notice his courage. And you know, it's real easy to have courage whenever nothing's going wrong. But boy, whenever the bottom is falling out and the ceiling is falling in and everything is gone haywire, it's another thing to have the courage to stand up and keep going. And notice what he says, nevertheless, nevertheless, what? Nevertheless what? Well, he's suffering these things. But nevertheless, notice he says, I'm not ashamed. So when we remember that he is in prison here, you know, it helps us to to understand and get the picture here of what his courage was because, you know, there many could have gone to Rome, for example, to testify on Paul's behalf. They could have said, did you, did you hear the news? It's so unfair. They have beaten Paul and they throw that poor man in prison. They're holding him there. He appealed to Caesar. They sent him off to Rome, and there he is. And we look, we need, we need to get a bunch of folks together, and we need to go there and to at least go there and try to be an encouragement to him. But they didn't do that, did they? Out of fear. 
It was out of the fear of going there. You see, they are ashamed, as it were, to identify themselves not only as Christians, but ashamed to identify themselves with the Apostle Paul. And and so here he is in prison all alone. And notice he says, I am not ashamed. He wasn't ashamed of of Christ. He wasn't ashamed of his testimony. He wasn't ashamed of the, uh, of the message that he preached. And the point is that he had a courage that these other people didn't have because they have failed to respond. And here he is all alone in prison. And he says, for I am not ashamed. And notice this is why that he had this great courage because he said, for I know whom I have believed. Now, I want you to notice the exact wording of that because this is speaking here about Paul's comprehension. For I know whom I have believed. He doesn't say, I know what I believe. Now, he could have said that because Paul certainly wasn't confused about his theology. He knew exactly what he believed, but he doesn't say, I know what I believe. He doesn't say, I know when I believed, and although he did, he knew it happened on the road to Damascus. He didn't say, I know why I believe. He didn't even say, I know in whom I believe, or he didn't say, I know how much I believe. In other words, that I've got great faith. He simply says, I know whom I have believed. You see, he's speaking about a personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a personal relationship with Him. That Greek word that's translated know there means absolute. So when he says, I know, he's saying, I absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt. That was his personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He comprehended something that a lot of people didn't understand. He understood who Jesus was. He didn't just know about Christ. He knew Christ and he believed Christ. He didn't just believe about Christ, but rather he believed Christ. It's important that you get the exact wording there. I know whom I have believed. In other words, I know where my, where I've placed my confidence. That word believe means confidence. It means to be persuaded. It means to be convinced. And the Greek scholars tell us that it is in the perfect tense, which means that not only had he trusted Christ, but that he was continuing to do so. I know whom I have believed, and you know, past and present and future. It was an ongoing thing. Maybe you've talked to someone like I have that says, you know, I used to be a Christian just like you are. I used to believe all of that stuff, but I don't believe that anymore. And they've just totally renounced Christ and Christianity altogether. But, you know, their problem is they knew what they believed, but they didn't believe the right person. It's when you know whom you believe. It's when you believe what Christ says. That's the thing that makes all of the difference in the world. Because we could find a lot of folks that maybe they've uh, taken a, a course in religion. And uh, in, in studying for the course, they learned that, uh, you know, Jesus was born of the seed of David, just like the Old Testament prophet said he would be. And they learned that he was born of a virgin. I mean, history proves that. You can't deny that. History proves that he was crucified. 
and that he arose again on the third day. I mean, those, those are all facts. I mean, that's more factual than the birth of George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or any of that other historical stuff you believe. There's more documentation proving the birth of Christ than, than all of those put together. And so we can rest assured that all of that is factual. It's all true. And you can say, yeah, I believe that. But you're not saved by just acknowledging those facts. It's not giving your mental assent to historical facts that saves you. It is in believing the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's where our blessed assurance comes from. And Paul is wanting us to know that I have absolute assurance. I have complete confidence. And it's based on the fact that I know who I believe. And it's not one of those things where you are a believer today and an unbeliever tomorrow. Because whenever you believe unto salvation, that is an ongoing thing. Notice his confidence. He says, and, in other words, I'm not through yet. He says, I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. This is his confession of a confident conviction. In other words, Paul didn't, didn't have a fear of losing anything. I gotta get up if I fall down or have to sit back down. I ain't sat there any longer. Paul is saying, I have total, complete confidence that what I'm telling you is the truth. And this is what I am basing absolutely everything on. That gave him a peace in his heart. You know, there's nothing in the world I don't, that I can think of that is more troubling than to have that nagging uncertainty in your heart. And it's so sad to talk to people and ask them, do you know, do you know if you died today that you'd go to be with the Lord? And they say something like this. They say, well, I hope so, or I think so. And it's really sad, you know, when they say, well, you know, I, I, just, I just don't know. Let me tell you, nobody has to live that way. I don't know how you go to sleep at night. I really don't. If you understand that you are a sinner in need of salvation, if you really understand for what purpose Jesus Christ suffered and bled and died, if you understand that, how in God's name can you put your head on the pillow and go to sleep at night knowing that you are just one heartbeat, just one breath away from eternity? Eternity without the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had this total confidence in the Lord. I am persuaded that he is able. Wow. Well, we could camp out there for a while, huh? That he is able. That's where our peace comes from. Going back to where we started, where he said, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. How can we live fearlessly in this life? How can we have a peace that passeth all understanding? How can we have joy unspeakable and full of glory? It's knowing that our hope is rooted and grounded in God's ability. He is able. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, and Paul writing there, he says, nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Amen? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Why? Because God is able. 
And he says here that I am confident, I'm persuaded that God is able to keep what I've committed unto him. Notice his commitment here. That word commitment means putting with or it means a deposit. I go down to the bank and I make a deposit there. And I, in other words, I'm committing a certain amount of money into the account there. And Paul is saying that he has entrusted something to another. He has entrusted something to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he says that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him. Well, what had he committed to Christ? Everything. I mean, there's no, there wasn't no holding back with Paul. I mean, he was either all in or all out. He had committed his life. He had committed his goods, his, his work to the Lord, his all. He committed his soul. He committed his sins to the Lord, his fears, his hopes, his past, his present, his future. All of that had been committed unto the Lord, and he renounced all dependence upon self and de- depended entirely on the Lord for everything, for his salvation. Paul didn't depend upon his works to help get him to heaven. He didn't depend upon baptism or church membership or being a good neighbor or generous or anything else. It was all based on what Jesus had done for him. He committed his way unto the Lord for salvation, for safety and strength, his supplies. And let me tell you, it hadn't always been that way with Paul. There was a time whenever Paul was a religious Pharisee. He was a self-righteous person. And he describes it over in Philippians chapter number 3. And he talks about what he had been. Highly esteemed in the eyes of man. Admired by many. And yet without Jesus Christ as his Savior. Until he got down to that point that he said, And I counted all of that. All of his religious stuff. All of his self-righteous stuff. He said, I counted it all but dung. Just a pile of manure. That's all it is. It's totally worthless. And his one goal in life was described as to win Christ. He wanted to live his life in a way that was pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that kind of salvation comes through nothing but faith in Jesus himself. Have you ever made that discovery? Paul said there was a time that I was self-righteous. There was a time that he said everything I did, I did in a good conscience. Even when he persecuted Christians, he thought he was doing God a favor. He was so blinded by religion. He persecuted the very people that, that he came to love. And it was all through an act of faith. I know whom I have believed. In other words, I, I, I'm depending upon what Jesus Christ has said and done. I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And he had committed everything to Christ. He wasn't holding back anything. Sir James Simpson, he was the man that discovered chloroform. And he was on his deathbed. And a friend asked him, he said, he said, sir, um, what are your speculations? What are your, 
by the way, there are a lot of folks, you know, on their deathbed, and that's all they have is speculations. Maybe their hopes, you know, their dreams of what might happen. You've heard some people say, well, you know, I don't believe in all of that life after death stuff. I believe you just, you know, you die like a dog and you go back to dust and that's all there is. How sad. They ask Sir James Simpson about that. What are your speculations? He said, speculations. He says, I have none. And then he quoted this verse, for I know whom I have believed. Do you have that kind of assurance in your heart? If this was your last day on earth, do you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that you'd go to be with the Lord? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? He said, I believe that He's going to keep. That is, He's going to guard. He's going to protect. He's going to keep that which I've committed unto Him. Now notice, against that day. I was sitting at my desk this morning thinking about the message. And the more I thought about those two words, the last two words of that verse. In fact, I almost decided to come out here and preach a message just based on those two words. That day. That day. I'm convinced, Paul said, that God will keep whatever I've committed unto him against that day. What day is he talking about? Well, turn over a page to chapter 4, and I want you to look at two verses, verse number 8. Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Now, verse 18 And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Do you get it? When Paul speaks about that day, he's talking about the day when either by death or by the rapture that we are with the Lord. That day. And I don't know about you, but it's my thoughts of that day that keeps me going. I mean, whenever the going gets rough and whenever it seems like that my labor is in vain, I'm reminded that in that day there is a crown to be won. Whenever my heart is overwhelmed by some great sorrow, I am reminded that in that day that He'll wipe away all of our tears I'm reminded that whenever my friends have turned against me in that day, I'll be with the friend that sticks closer than a brother. I'm reminded whenever the world seems to be falling apart all around me, I'm reminded that in that day, King Jesus is going to rule and reign and peace shall flow like a river across the nations of this earth. That day, that's the day we're looking for. In that day, whenever we'll be relieved of all of our heavy burdens. In that day, when we'll be rewarded for our service rendered unto the Lord. In that day, when we'll be reunited with our loved ones that have gone on. That day, when we are received into the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's no wonder that the folks around Lakeway love to sing, what a day that will be. Amen. 
Remember old Brother Gilbert Wood, and you didn't have to be around Brother Gilbert very long to realize that that was his favorite song. If you ever ask, anybody got a song to sing, Brother Gilbert say, what a day that will be. Well, that's the day I'm looking for. I don't know about you. What a day that will be. And all of a sudden you start thinking about all that's going to mean. And then you think about another song that says, When we shall see Him. Amen. When we shall see Christ. We think about another song. It will be worth it all. Amen. That day, listen, that day is going to happen. That day is coming. It's a matter of whether or not you're ready for that day. Are you saved? Are you sure? And let me tell you, look, this is not something you can risk. It's not something you can leave to chance. It's not something that, you know, to just say, well, you know, I feel good about my chances. Maybe you're one of those that that say, well, you know, preacher, I don't think anybody can know for sure that they're saved. But the Bible says we can. First John 5.13, John said, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. If I didn't know I had eternal life, if I didn't know I was a child of God... I would not leave this building this morning. I mean, if I had to crawl on my hands and knees, if I had to, if I, whatever I had to do, that's what I would do to have the assurance of salvation. The good news is, all you've got to do is just believe the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you willing to trust Him this morning? to be your Lord and your Savior. And you can have that same blessed assurance that Paul had and know beyond all doubting that Jesus is your Savior and heaven is your home. And that day will not be a fearful time for you. It'll be the most glorious day in, in, in all of your life. That day that we'll be with Him appointed unto man once to die but after this the judgment and your sins will either have been judged by the payment of what Jesus Christ did for you or you'll have to pay that debt for eternity in separation from the Lord settle it right here this morning because you can be saved and sure without any doubt whatsoever. Somebody said, well, preacher, don't you think a person can doubt their salvation? Well, let me put it this way. You know, if salvation is something you can't be sure of, you, you know, if you could lose it after you get it, well, then you could lose it and you'd never really miss it, right? I mean, if you can't be sure about it, how would you know whether you got it or not? Maybe you're thinking, well, preacher, surely we got to do something to be saved and got to have some good works or something. How, how, how many good works would it take? You couldn't ever have assurance if your salvation depended upon your works. You could never know whether you're saved or not. 
How can you know whether you've ever done enough? Thank God our salvation doesn't depend on what we do. It depends on what Jesus did when He hung on that cross and shed His blood, when He took our place and died in our stead. And as a result of that, if we will simply trust Him, that's all that's needed. Amen? Let's stand together. Father, I pray that You'll speak to someone's heart here today, someone that that maybe even as they came to the service, maybe they hadn't even given any thought to where they're going to spend eternity. It might be they came and uh, was looking forward to enjoying the good music that we've heard today, and, and we do hope they'll be blessed by that. But then all of a sudden, somewhere during the course of the message, the Holy Spirit began to work on their heart, begin to tug at their heartstrings, And the truth of your word found lodging in their heart. And maybe for the first time in a long time, or maybe for the first time ever, they've really started giving some serious thought to where they're going to spend eternity. Lord, help them this morning to understand that they can settle all of that once for all, here and now, by a simple act of putting their faith in Jesus Christ. God, help them this morning and draw them to Calvary that they might be saved. In Jesus' name, while we stand as we sing this morning.